Hello, and welcome to Cringe Benefits, the podcast that's all about your favorite things from childhood and your grown-up regrets about them. I'm your host, Abby Wild. With me today is Zev Hurwich. Zev founded Aiyah Podcasting and currently writes, produces, and edits fiction podcasting. He also picked up a knitting habit and has more sweaters than he knows what to do with. And frankly, to that, I will say, why not wear them all at once so that you can intimidate people with your enormous woolly girth? <laughs> uh, enormous woolly girth is the name of my new um, uh, cabaret. No, not cabaret. Whatever. Uh, I'm blanking on the, the word. This. It's a it's it's a mountain goats tribute act. It's, 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 no, no, no. Um, it's, it's burlesque. Burlesque. You're thinking of yes. burlesque. Yes, burlesque. That's the word. I'm really tired. It's gonna be fun. It's gonna be really loopy today. <laughs> listen, listen. I did not ask you on this podcast because I expected cogent sentences. <laughs> well, then you're gonna get what you got. What you? <laughs> Yay! Asked for. Uh, uh, thank you for having me. Thank you for agreeing to join me in this fun exciting experiment that I've been talking about for an absurdly long time. I'm glad I finally crawled out of my cave and uh, made it happen. Yay. Yeah. And so let me explain to you what the story of this podcast is, because this might be people's first time listening to it. Um, story of this podcast is people bring on beloved pieces of art or pop culture that they loved from childhood that they've since realized as an adult may not have aged very well, may be a skosh problematic or in a word, bad. And uh, today to fill that to fill that uh, requirement, you came on with the 1990s power trilogy of <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes. Yes. Um Zev, how old were you the first time you saw Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? I do not remember. Um, my <laughs> first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle memories are from, I, I used to live in Stamford, Connecticut. Um, mm -hmm. And I think probably about like five or four years old. Yeah. Was when do I, you remember who showed it to you? Like any context? Probably parents because uh, it was at home. It wasn't like with a friend or anything. Um, but we did, I remember we had, uh, all the movies on VHS. Um, oh, yeah. we had like the, the entire trilogy on VHS still very clear in my mind, like the, the boxes, um, the, my childhood rankings of them are three, one and two, two being the last, because, uh, as a child, it terrified me. Mm -hmm, I was mm -hmm. afraid of very weird things as a kid, like Fern Gully just destroyed oh. my brain. Fern Gully was traumatizing, and I've got to say, I, uh, I I tried to rewatch it recently, and uh, it is going to be the subject of another episode of this podcast <laughs> one day. I have no doubt. Uh, like, yeah, <sighs> I, yeah, that we could talk about Fern Gully for days and how terrified I was of it. Uh, but the second one scared me as a kid. But then rewatching it as an adult, um, the the ninja rap, nothing with a ninja rap can be terrifying. Listen. It was ice. Listen, it was Vanilla Ice, and who else was on the Ninja Rap? I I only recognized Vanilla Ice. Like Vanilla Ice is the is the uh, the 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 celebrity the celebrity cameo of that film. Yes. Although while we're talking about celebrity cameos, do you know who I spotted? Do you know Do you know who I spotted in TMNT one? Uh, no, who? Two of them. Uh, so so when they enter into 
the when they enter into the skate park slash arcade slash Sam Rockwell, right? Sam Rockwell is the head thug. I I thought it was him, but I was like, no, that can't be actually. No, it's one hundred (laughs) percent baby Sam Rockwell. It's I looked at his IMDb, and it's like his fifth. It's like his fifth credit. But like, and not only is that Sam Rockwell, which is uh, like arguably the most exciting of the minor cameos but the thug that he's talking to when he's going on the tour and he's mm-hmm. like yeah we've got you know we've got arcade stuff over here we've got skating stuff over here i've got <laughs> cigarettes here the guy he's talking to is skeet ulrich i don't know who that is okay so skeet ulrich uh it's fine we can cut all of this out but i'm gonna tell you <laughs> so skeet ulrich is a uh like 90s like maybe b movie star if you look at him you would go oh that's the guy you get if you can't afford johnny depp because they look exactly the same and skeet ulrich was uh he was one of the boyfriends in scream he was the bad boyfriend in the craft Uh, if you look at his imdb he's usually like pretty guy who turns out to be kind of an asshole like that's his i just looked it up he's in riverdale say no more Oh my yeah, god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Skeet Ulrich. Dang. Okay, great. Okay, great. so I mean, we're there. Sam Rockwell is like truly one of the greatest actors of our generation. He's such a baby in it oh, too. God, and like the moment you figure I, out who he is. Okay, thank you for confirming that because I saw that. I was like, no, no, no. My sleep deprived brain is just making this shit up. There's no way that's Sam Rockwell. Oh, Zev, when I see a suspected Sam Rockwell sighting, I have to stop everything and confirm Sam Rockwell before I can continue viewing that cinematic experience, which was, in fact, the case with TMNT 1. Um, Amazing. Teenage Mutant Ninja T- Turtles 2. I, I'm So I should say, uh, before you suggested this topic, I had never seen any of these three movies. And because I'm a Ravenclaw and a tryhard, I decided to watch all three before we recorded so that I would know... I would be able to come with you on this cinematic nostalgia journey. Bless your and, heart. And, uh, you know, I've got to say I've grown both as a person and as a turtle. And <laughs> I actually really liked the second one. And I feel like this is going to pull down some shade because the second one is the one that was the subject of a how did this get made? And it mm-hmm. is by no means a good movie. No. But. At all. I will never say it is. But it is 45 minutes of an enjoyable movie, (laughs) plus 45 minutes of a fully unnecessary movie with a Ninja Turtle rap in it. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the beauty of these movies. Um, Talking about, you know, always start with a compliment Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) is yeah, they are (laughs) preposterous and they they know they're preposterous. But at the same time, like, I only rewatched the first one for this because... uh, because you're a Hufflepuff. I'm a Hufflepuff. Well, except no, Hufflepuffs are hard workers. Um, <laughs> but I also, I thought like, look, you're only going to watch the first one. So we'll just talk about the first one. Um, but I forgot that you are Ravenclaw. Tell me, tell me briefly if you can, because uh, I know you just watched it. Can you give me a synopsis of what actually happens in the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie? Okay. I mean, I can also give you synopsis for the other two <laughs> with like, which I think will be entertaining considering the second one I haven't seen in... A decade and the third one i haven't seen in two decades um <laughs> let's start with the first one and see how we do and based on your performance i'll see if you get the opportunity to do the second or the third or the okay third so one. this is this will be my audition and then we'll see if i get the call back yeah um, exactly mm-hmm. to uh to use the lingo of the kids these days uh showbiz <laughs> i'm assuming all kids are to showbiz 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Are they not? I mean, that's what I'm I was assuming. into. That's... That was my childhood. That must be standard for everybody. No, the children must be wrong. Um, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie opens up in a New York City, uh, which would not be recognizable to anyone born after the year 1993. Uh, this was New York uh, when crime was, in the 80s, crime in New York was really at its height. But in this version of New York, the crime that's happening is like mostly people's stereos are getting stolen. Terrible. Uh, <laughs> and like their wallets too. Like what's happening is like April O'Neil, uh, Ace Reporter, is uh, telling us the story of this crime wave in New York and how no one has even seen these uh, mysterious thieves that have been taking things from everyone. And the unfortunately, the police have to be called in, but the police aren't making any arrests and no one's talking. And uh, then we see these uh, four teenaged mutant ninja turtles. Oh, that's why it's called Teenage Mutant mm-hmm. Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's that is that's why. the title. That's the title uh, of the thing. It's exactly right. It's 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 not just a metaphor, um, though it is also a metaphor. <laughs> the teenage mutant ninja turtles were inside us all along. <laughs> Ex- I, yes, exactly. Uh, right. So there are these these four teenage mutant ninja turtles. They are brothers who were um, turtles who walked into some radioactive ooze, and as they were just kind of like splashing around in this ooze, uh, there was a rat who came from Japan. Uh, and this rat uh, who immigrated to to America uh, studied karate from his um, owner. Uh, yeah, he was a pet rat, and his owner was a karate master who was killed by a rival karate master. Um, and then he comes to New York. He finds these turtles in the ooze. He also goes into the ooze, and all of them get mutated. Uh, and he raises these turtles as his own and he gives them the names uh that he read in a book of uh renaissance artists so they are leonardo leonardo is the one in blue he is the leader he his weapon are katanas uh Raphael is rude that's his thing he's in red <laughs> his weapon is sai uh donatello who gets almost no time in the first movie is in purple his deal is He's the computer technology nerd. Uh, And then there's Michelangelo, who is the funny one with nunchucks. Cool, yeah. yeah, That's all of them. Yeah, those are the turtles. And the rat's name is Splinter. Uh, There's also Casey Jones, who is another vigilante in New York, whose theme is sports. Uh, He's, I don't know if he's intentionally a ripoff of Sportsmaster from like the old school DC comic books, but... um, He's definitely like Sportsmaster. He's just this dude with baseball bats and a hockey stick and also a cricket bat. And he also fights crime. And I would also venture to say that his 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 deal is also he's from Brooklyn and he cracks wise. Yes, he is. They're all like they all have thick New York accents. That's another very. Well, no, they don't, though. That's what's interesting is that Raphael has like a thick New York accent and the other three have like these like. Totally bogus surfer accents, bruh. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's also true. 
Um, Which makes Raphael really out of place because now he seems like their angry 40-year-old uncle who's just hanging out with them. But he is their angry 40-year-old uncle. That's accurate. He's he's Grunkle Grunkle Ruff. Yes, he is. Um, They save April O'Neil from these ninjas because, spoiler alert, the teens uh, who have been stealing things actually work for this group of ninjas called The Foot. Uh, and it's like very clearly a cult where there's this leader who's telling them like, you have no families. We are your family now. And the, all the people in the mask speak in really, really cringe inducing um, stereotypes of uh, Japanese accents. Yeah. Oh, oh, we're going to, we're, we're going to we'll get, get into ourselves that. into that. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So these ninjas are stealing radios. April O'Neil has been investigating them. Um, and the turtles save them from O'Neill. And then it turns out that this ninja group is led by the person who killed Splinter's owner. And they run away, then they run back, and the ninjas fight. And that's that's the story. Yeah, it's uh it's a it's definitely a tale as old as time. Mm-hmm. Uh I feel like we do need to carry this conversation a couple of movies forward to the movie that mm-hmm. you earlier said was uh your favorite. Teenage as a child, yes. As a child, yes. Seen- disclaimer: as a child, <laughs> a child. I have not seen it in twenty years. The third. Oh, I saw it this morning. So the third Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, which is only called a uh, Teenage M- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Three, sometimes erroneously subtitled Turtles in Time, is uh, about our four uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles going spoiler alert back in time to feudal japan and getting involved in a turf war between uh a samurai a a a a japanese um feudal lord and a band of insurgents and the feudal lord's son prince kenshin is in love with the chieftain of the uh of the insurgent tribe whose name is mitsu and like it's it's got some of my favorite things in it, though, because here's one thing cool that this movie does that made me really happy to see, which is that the second movie uh, got rid of Casey Jones because I think probably he was deemed too violent. And they thought like a cute mar- martial arts doing teenage boy was a better sidekick for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, I think it was also, don't quote me on this, but... I seem to remember there was also that like parents were worried that their kids would use like their sports equipment to hit each other with. Oh man, that sounds that's like a literally thing. all he does. Yeah, that's true. Like, he hits people with cricket bats and hockey sticks and baseball bats. Well, and so the answer was to bring him back in the third movie, where like the mechanism of time travel is such that like the bodies the bodies have to be displaced in some way. So if a teenage mutant ninja turtle goes back in time. Somebody in feudal Japan is brought forward to take their oh place God, in the yes, present. I remember that? Yes. yes. So you have this whole yes. mechanism where so so what happens first? <laughs> it like starts with it starts with April coming to their now subway station lair, and she's like, "Hey guys, I went to the flea market. I got you some cool stuff. Oh wow, what's this?" And she pulls out the time scepter, which exists. Yes, it's like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It exists in the present (laughs) and also in the past, which raises questions. Is it a fixed point in time? Does it exist at all moments? Why is it only communicating with this moment in 1603 (laughs) and not every moment that the scepter exists? I don't know. I'm not a scientist, but be that as it may, she pulls it out (laughs) of her bag and suddenly it starts whirring and suddenly she is flipped in place 
with um, Prince Kenshin. And uh, now he's brought forward, she's brought back. And so the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles also have to go back. So they call their friend Casey to hang out with Splinter and watch the prince and the four samurai that they're going to bring forward to take their place while they're gone. So Casey Jones whole role in uh, the movie is ostensibly to babysit these guys. So he does no fighting whatsoever, no sports equipment. So to get around this, what they did was they had uh, the actor who plays Casey Jones double as a doppelganger who exists in 1603 feudal Japan, because there's this band of English arms dealers. Uh, I'm going to call them pirates because they're basically function as pirates. And they're uh, selling... I mean, but that's also just the English government of the tie was just pirates <laughs> such pirates so he's like he's he's a he, he's ostensibly a mutineer and april sees him and goes oh my god you look like casey and then it's just never mentioned again like there's no <laughs> like i mean there's a moment where one of the turtles is like bruh do you have a relative in brooklyn but then it's also never mentioned again and there's like a real opportunity for further time travel questions such as if wit dies in 1603 does casey cease to exist in 1993 i mean what is the relation here also pirate casey uh 1603 pirate casey which is his name now is really mm -hmm. stupid he spends all of his time just staring quizzically at everybody. He's just got this look that on his right. face the whole time. And then he spontaneously turns out to be a double agent who was trying to trap them to sell them to the pirates the whole time. And then he spontaneously changes his mind and rescues them from the pirates because plot says so. And then like, just it's... It's it's a it's a whole story that doesn't actually need to happen, um, but it does have my favorite moment in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle history, which is that like after you know five hours of me watching these turtles, uh, poor human, <laughs> five hours, five cumulative hours of me watching these turtles uh, kick oh. kick butt with their hands, their feet, and sometimes nunchucks, although not too often because this movie is PG and we want to make sure that the children can watch it. There comes a point yes. where the arms dealers pull out their guns and Leonardo says, oh no, guns! And they have no idea what to do. <laughs> because they've just never conceived of the possibility that they're vulnerable to guns. Like, it took five hours for somebody to aim a gun at them. And they have no defense. It's brilliant. I don't think it meant to be as delightfully funny as it is i mean, honestly like uh these people were like the people making these movies were not kind but they did know how to write jokes <laughs> like so it might it might have been intense i think a lot of the jokes there were especially just like because they do want to give the parents something oh. just a bone to, to survive this just um <laughs> it just was the most genuinely delightfully surprisingly charming moment just thank you thank you for that <laughs> and at the end like af after all this time after all this time uh, it took one musket <laughs> from 1603 to catch them on the back foot um 
were these the first uh, popular appearance of the Ninja Turtles or the first cinematic adaptation? Like where where do the 1990s Ninja Turtles movies live in terms of like the whole Ninja Turtle oeuvre? Um, that's that's the word of the day. Um, it is the word of the day. So this was, I'm pretty sure, the first cinematic adaptation. Uh, there was also a Ninja Turtles cartoon, which you might mm-hmm. know the theme song for. I would sing it now, but I don't want to get your show kicked off the air for copyright infringement. That's valiant of you. Thank um, you for looking out for me. <laughs> I know too much about <laughs> copyright law, and it's all terrible. Um, <laughs> uh, I... I, I'm not looking, but yeah, there was a cartoon um, around the same time because Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came originally out of the 1980s. Um, so the the story behind that for the listeners, uh, and if you don't happen to know it, was um, Frank Miller was crushing it in the comic book world. Uh, he was the most popular writer and he made stories uh, which would essentially really define a lot of comic books and even have a lot of lasting repercussions today. Uh, a lot of his Batman work is really the foundation of the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, but he also essentially, he was given uh, a title from Marvel that they thought was, this is when he was first starting out, he was given a title from Marvel that was struggling uh, called Daredevil. I've heard of it, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, he is the one who added all of the ninjas to it. And this the, it was super, super duper popular. In his comics, there were the villains called The Hand, who were this clandestine ninja group who uh, fought Matt Murdock, and um, which is why in Teenage Mutant Turtles, they're called The Foot. Mm-hmm, I get it. And they were also riffing off of X-Men. So they were essentially riffing off of all the popular titles, but mostly Frank Miller. Um, and it was a breakaway success. It was This was this was Laird and Eastman who came up with uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I believe that's correct. Yes, I'm terrible with names. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I did I did a little bit of reading of this and my my um and also this is just what I remember from uh the awesome Netflix show, The Toys That Made Us. I think the chronology is Laird and Eastman, they came up with Mutant Ninja Turtles as a response to Daredevil. And then, but it was like gritty and dark and serious. And then it turned into like a happy campy cartoon show in 87. Yes, that's correct. And so the 90s... The, the 90s movies are are supposed to be a gritty response to the happy campy cartoon show. Um, yeah, uh, I don't think they nailed the gritty part. No, uh, <laughs> no, it's, uh, it doesn't have a lot of Sin City going on in it. I'm not going to lie. It's, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it, it is deli- like, they are truly silly, um, <laughs> like beyond silly. Um, but yes, they were also, you know, still the movie definitely made it like um, funny and mm-hmm. Did they, the movie was to Teenage Mutant Turtles what Adam West's Batman was to Batman. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, that brings it in. That's So I wonder if you can speak a little bit to um, what it's like to be a four-year-old boy looking up to the Ninja Turtles. Like, what was, what was so great about them? 
It's a good question. Uh, I mean, they were they were awesome, right? Like they were uh, they had cool weapons. Um, I was like, again, they never actually really used the weapons because you run into the problem that all kids shows that have any character with a sword runs into because if you're actually going to use a sword, it's not going to be appropriate for children. Correct. To use a sword like a sword. Uh, <laughs> so that was always frustrating as a child. Being like, he never uses the sword. What's going on? When's <laughs> he the, gonna stab someone? Except in the cartoons where you have like robots and aliens and mutants and things that are okay to stab. Um, Correct. Um, so that was like, I liked that. Um, the The fighting was cool. The color, I think it was also just like colors. Like at that age, just like they were brightly colored. And I think that was <laughs> engaging. Uh, but it's also, it was, it was, um, it was funny, right? They were, it, it, it was funny. I didn't get all of the jokes and I didn't get the, uh, I couldn't, you know, swirl my glass of wine and say, ah, yes, this is very camp. Um, <laughs> four years old. But it was also, it was cool. Like this was, Teenage Mutant Turtles were what was in if you were a kid growing up in the 90s. Oh my God, totally. Like I, I, I had older brothers who I think, who, who watched the cartoon show uh, in the early 90s. But also, like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was a merchandising monster. Yes. Everybody had toys or backpacks or lunchboxes. It's that whole thing where, like, a, a child does not need to actually see the show to know who all of the characters are and what their relationships are because the the saturation point is so high. And the toys were really cool and easily accessorized. You had different colored turtles with different weapons and you could have them like group fight and trade weapons and act out scenarios. And that's not why I became an actor. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, no. So that was, that was a big part of it. Hi, it's Abby. Are you having fun yet? If you are, why not take a minute to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts? Ratings help Apple connect us with more listeners like you, and more listeners will eventually lead us to cool things like new guests, live shows, and everything else we need to make better episodes for you. Thanks for your help. I appreciate it. And now, back to the show. When did you start to become aware that there might be some uh, significant problems with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Oh, I mean, I can give you the exact time. So I hadn't watched those movies. Uh, I wa- they were my childhood. They were they were in the 90s, and I had left them in the 90s. Uh, then I worked at this summer camp. It was a summer camp. This was nerd camp. This was a summer camp where kids essentially go to a college campus, and they take courses in things like cryptography and paleobiology as any camp counselor knows um when you have the kids for a long time and you just have no energy right you put on a movie and the person in charge uh my supervisor chose teenage moon teenage moon ninja turtles the 1990s movie um and we were showing this to kids uh this was in i think 2011 so these kids were born either, these kids were born after these movies came out and they grew up in an age when Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were cartoons and other movies that were, had a very different look than the 90s one. Um, so the kids were not psyched about it, but all of the counselors were like, yeah, this is going to be fun. This was like, this was, this was our childhood. We'll just sit back and make them 
appreciate what it was like growing up. Uh, and we played it, and I was like, oh my god, these accents are just really, really offensive. And again, this is a this camp um, has a population of Asian Americans, and also just some straight up people who are just you know from China or Japan or other countries who come to America for this camp. Uh, a very high population of uh, of Asians and Asian Americans. And it was just like really, really cringe. Like all of the artists were just like cringing every time like one of those really offensive accents happens. Um, just like, Ugh. after After that viewing experience, did you like, did you and the other counselors ever talk about it or was it just all internal? It was, uh, I don't really remember. Uh, I think we did. I'm pretty sure I did. I can remember one person in particular who I think I talked about it with. Um, and like, this was a bad choice. Um, this was yeah. not good. I think um, I didn't notice like, you know, any of the kids, like it didn't really, I don't think it really hit them mostly because this movie is so silly Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's so, it, it's impossible to take it seriously. So it wasn't like the kind of thing where it had like repercussions where like kids were like reciting the lines back in the really racist accents mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. things like that that would be like directly actionable. Um, but I don't think it was, uh, I'm just going to go on the limb and say it was probably not fun for our, our many Asian students. Probably uh, not. Uh, go out on that limb. But that raises a point, like having seen it and realized how completely tone deaf it was, did that make you think, did did that make you re-examine the way you used to interact with the movie as a kid? Mm. Well, I mean, that was the first time I'd seen it in, you know, about a decade, more than a decade at that point. Um, So I was re-examining a lot of things at the same time. Um, <laughs> cause I was like, wow, this is such a, this is a fun movie, but this is so bad. It's, I mean, there were parts, some serious parts, like for example, their portrayal of cults. I was like, oh wow, this is a actually decent portrayal of like how cults indoctrinate people. That's surprising. I think you can search deep in there about, um, the restlessness of like, white boys in the 90s mm-hmm. um and like a lot of the uh, toxic masculinity and anger and things like that come from that um so there were some things that were like oh that's good but mostly it's like no this is deeply problematic let's uh let's let's unpack the layers in which it's problematic so the first thing the first thing you mentioned were the accents which was the first thing that struck me as well i think the first uh I ended up I ended up doing some research and uh, in this movie every Asian character or Asian coded character I'm including Splinter in that is voiced by a non-Asian actor. Um Tatsu is the uh sort of the the major domo, the second mm-hmm. in command for Shredder. Tatsu is uh voiced by a non-Asian actor. Uh, by a, by a white that. actor, yeah. Because he was, he appears without a mask, so I was like, oh, 
he appears without a mask. You see his face, but he is dubbed over by a white guy oh doing God. a yellow face accent. Oh, that's uh, so much worse. <laughs> so is Shredder, who in this movie is played by uh, active character actor James Sato, who is still like working and wonderful and uh, dubbed over by a white guy doing his voice. Splinter, because this is a Henson uh, workshop project, is... Uh, performed and operated by Kevin Clash, an African-American actor who you know better as Mm -hmm. Elmo. I should say that the second movie has a slightly better record in that uh, it it introduces the character of Kino, who is Filipino and who uses his own voice. Uh, But all of the other Asian or Asian-coded characters in uh, the second movie are dubbed over. Uh, the third movie does a little bit better in terms of uh, letting the actors use their own voices, but the third movie is a whole nother story to get into. It's like, it's it's basically every uh, bad, m- bad mystic Asian stereotype rolled into one voice. Uh, it's super uncomfortable and unnecessary. So that's one thing. Which which kind of brings me to, to my next point about these movies that I noticed, which is like it's it's a little harder to pinpoint because it swims in like a sea that all of 90s movies kind of swum in, which is just this general layer of gentle sexism, where if there's a female character, there's only one. She's uh, kind of the object of lust for everybody. She has to end up with somebody at the end. Uh, it also features like, what I realized through watching this is a common trope that I kind of hate, which is woman gets her life destroyed by action hero, recovers remarkably quickly. Like, her- Yeah, I mean, it's not even gentle sex. It's just, yeah, April O'Neil is the only woman who is named in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pretty sure in the second movie, too, the third movie, I believe, did have another woman with a name. The third movie has another woman with a name who is a badass war chieftainess who then somehow gets kidnapped (laughs) by the dumbest character (laughs) and then just becomes a MacGuffin until the end of the movie, at the end of which she ends up with somebody romantically. And she literally says, no, we have to get married to join our clans (laughs) together while she's explaining to Michelangelo why she can't be with him because a woman's purpose in these movies is to wind up with somebody at the end. And also not a turtle. Um, And also not a turtle. But like, (laughs) I mean, I've got to give her props actually for being kind enough not to say, no, dude, you're a turtle. Turtle. I don't want to know what's going on down there. Uh, yeah, no, these movies are, again, which is weird, because my sisters liked them before I did. My oldest sister, Talia, had a Leonardo doll that was about, for when she was six, the size of a six-year-old. I mean, I can see how, like, I would have liked this movie as a kid, right? Because, yeah. uh, while April O'Neil does swim in those sexist tropes, she's also, like, she speaks up for herself. She speaks up for herself. She's not nice. She, uh, isn't afraid to get messy. She drives an ugly van. She lives in, she lives above a super cool secondhand shop, which I would have wanted to live in. She, like, the Ninja Turtles have this kind of cool, uh, uh, nonconformist lifestyle where they get to like hang out in their grungy hip orphan home they made for themselves and eat <laughs> pizza all day. Like, yeah, there's stuff in there like, yeah. that any kid would want. Yeah, go on. Absolutely. Yeah, the point. Yeah, yeah, the point is that this show appeal. It was not just a show for boys. This show had 
real appeal to uh, people of all genders. Um, everyone loved it. Uh, everyone ever, but yeah, this was widely popular. So it just, mm-hmm. it's, <laughs> it's not like they, but again, it, it kind of goes back to the, um, the Hollywood idea that you have to play only to what the producers think the core demographic is and ignore everyone else. Yeah. And the core demographic was always little white boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the, the sexism of the way the character April is treated, which is, you know, her life gets destroyed. She gets moved around. She's kind of there to serve the core demographic. And then she winds up with the least turtly of them, Casey Jones, even though he's kind of an <laughs> asshole and she doesn't like him until the last five minutes of the movie. Um, also, the sexism of the way that uh, April is portrayed in the movie is kind of mirrored by the way the actresses who played her are treated. And uh, I want to caveat this by saying I haven't done a lot of deep research. In the time that I had, I pulled this from IMDb trivia and from Wikipedia. Uh, The role of April is played by Judith Hogue in the first movie, and then she's replaced by Paige Turco for the second two movies. And the reason for that is um, there are two answers. One of them was that uh, the director of the first movie said that he didn't like how Judith was complaining about her costume and complaining about filming long days and uh, always had, you know, argued back about her character. Another version of the story is that Judith was uh, vocal about the way that the actors inside the hundred pound latex suits were treated and she wanted shorter days and shorter uh, performance schedules because it was unhealthy and unsafe. Uh, either way, she fell into the long line of actresses who have been called difficult for asking reasonable questions, and she got replaced by Paige Turco. Paige is wonderful in the role. They both are. But, uh, you know, Judith could have kept the role if she had been nicer. Um, that I wish that surprised me. Really do. It's cute that you think it should be surprising <laughs> as an actress isn't i mean no it's it's not it's really not not. um it's terrible um yeah but yeah this was this was not a a movie that was made um with any real thought about other people i think that's what really shows and it's it's really unfortunate because there's a lot in this movie that's actually quite enjoyable but really you can tell that they just were not thinking about people and that they just saw this film as a cash cow. Uh, which I guess raises a question, kind of the the sort of ultimate question of this podcast is like, where are you with this movie now? Do you ever want to or need to watch it again? So yeah, it's not a movie that I particularly am like, oh my God, I have to see this. If I did, I would probably be under the influence of some substance <laughs> to do that uh, because I'm sure it's delightful to watch. I mean, but again, these, these movies um, like watch rewatching it for, for this show. It's, I mean, it was, it's funny. It is. And the, co- the comedy in this movie is definitely something that I can point to and say, yes, this is what they're doing here and there. And they actually, it's intentional comedy that the people who wrote it knew what they were doing. Um, 
And so there's a lot there, but there's nothing that this movie does that other movies don't do better. Yeah. In terms of the ways in which it's uncomfortable, I mean, is it something that like... The sad truth being that so much of what is in our cultural uh, staple is problematic. That problematic isn't uh, always a... um, What's the word? Isn't always the deal breaker. Mm -hmm. Um, But this movie is... It's so problematic. And it's just... It's not good enough i think to warrant us watching it anyways all right like let's get highbrow for a second here like merchant of venice let's let's go back mm-hmm. oh way man back to like- oh man i don't know <laughs> if i'm prepared for a, a highbrow art <laughs> conversation after three ninja turtle movies but go on <laughs> but go on right all right like merchant of venice. this or we can speak a little bit more too because this is problematic towards us um oh yeah zev and i are both jewish in case that wasn't abundantly clear go on yeah, sorry. If you don't know the, if you don't know the name said is Jewish, it is very deeply. Um, right, it's deeply problematic and is not fun to watch. And I have really seen very few productions of it that I think have been sensitive or actually shed light on it. But it's a text that I is I would argue against taking out of the curriculum because no other text is as important to the depiction of Jewish people in really English, in the English language, Um, right? The whole trope of the fair Jewess comes from Jessica. Uh, Shylock is a shorthand now. Um, you, You have to read it. And the truth is also... There are some parts of that play that are really great. Uh, Shylock's, if you prick us, do not bleed monologue. Uh, the comedy, there's good comedy there, and it can be a really good show. Um, there's there's greatness in it, and so that I would say, like, yes, it's problematic, but you can't get rid of it because you do have to see the problematic side of it to understand how it influenced everything else, and also because they're underneath all the hatred there's a good play in there. Whereas Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, so actually Teenage Mutant Turtles does, if you're willing to look, you can look at it and learn a lot about portrayals of um, Asian culture in uh, in the media in the 90s, right? So in that sense, it might be worth like critically looking at, but showing it to a kid, to a group of kids at a summer camp you're not, if you're not talking about that, and then you lose that merit, and it's just not good enough to warrant like half of the kids there feeling deeply uncomfortable right. about it. And also, they had no say in it. <laughs> they just had no say in like, what they were watching. Um, it's only worth presenting in the context of a critical discussion and uh, with a consensual engagement from all of the parties who are who are watching it is what you're saying? Uh, I mean, I think so. I think it's, I think there's like, if you, right, if you're watching it, if you know the problems, and if you're engaged in it and you just want to watch something really dumb, right? Like you can definitely do worse, but you can also do much better. So it's just like, why? (laughs) 
Um, it does not teach us anything valuable about either teenagers, mutants, ninjas, nor turtles. Nor turtles. Very few turtle facts in that movie. We have not uh, gotten into the ways in which it plays into negative turtle stereotypes because I just didn't have the time. And I mean, it's a look into the 90s, right? This is this is something that I could see myself showing to my kids like when they aren't super young and impressionable to be like this is what your father was watching when he was a kid Mm -hmm. and gaze upon it and understand and now hopefully you can forgive me for all of the (laughs) therapy i've (laughs) i will cause you in later life totally yeah Uh, but otherwise just like why? <laughs> yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna die on a hill to make sure that this movie gets uh, preserved in the next uh, iteration of whatever comes next after streaming movies. Like it does not need to be accessible by all people forever and always. Oh my god! But also, I just again, there's this part of it that's just like having now again having rewatched like the, f- the first one twice now, uh, and again, you know, in my earlier twenties. It's just like, oh my god, this is so... It's painful to, like... There's a... It's painful to be, like, this thing that was such a big part of my childhood is the cause of all these other kids, like, getting bullied in school. Like, that's just not a fun feeling. Yeah, yeah. I I definitely have a few of those, which may or may not have been the inspiration for this podcast in the first place, is, like, is is grappling with the dissonance between, oh, man, I loved this thing, and it fills me with so many happy feelings and happy memories, but, wow, this is actually a huge problem and probably caused a lot of pain for some people and is representative of some negative structures and how do i yeah. move forward with that um yeah and i think and it's i mean it's good it's good to watch them it's good to again um because right you understand that like there's literally no way that like having been exposed to this much at such a young age there's no way it hasn't affected me mm-hmm. and affected everyone mm-hmm. of that age um and so it's i think it's important for um doing the work of uh of actually being a better person to engage like to know where it came from know why it's bad and then work to like catch it um when you do have that uh because as much as right like as funny as the splinters last lines of the haha i made a funny r and uh doing it in the voice big problem yep yep big Uh, issue so it's like okay yes that's a thing um and like just recognizing okay there are these things that and confronting them that is actually uh part of doing the work absolutely well zev thank you so much for joining me with this um yeah, you're welcome. This is a, it's a, always a pleasure to to chat with you. Always a pleasure to chat with you. Uh, if uh, listeners want to find more of you and what you're doing out on the internet, where can they find you? Uh, yeah, they can check out uh, my company's website, uh, aiea.co. That's A-E-A-E-A dot co. Uh, we make fiction podcasts. Um, we do things that harken back to the traditional radio of the 1920s and we do shows uh that are totally interactive um 
I narrate one called The Vale of Cedars. Uh, there's one written by a young up and coming podcast star called These Vagabond Shoes. Uh, that's not bad. Uh, oh man, I wonder who wrote that. <laughs> uh, if only we could get them on the show. I know, they sound so uh, <laughs> intelligent and pretty and creative. Creative. Um, so, yeah, so you can search for, uh, go to the website and find all of our shows. You can search uh, New York. Uh, you can search Your City or Something Like It for these vagabond shoes. You can search The Vale of Cedars for that one. Um, and we're coming out with a couple of new shows really soon. I actually have to make a tweet today about that. Uh, yeah, so do that. Or if you want my knitting patterns, uh, go to herwitchcraft.com. I highly recommend the knitting patterns, you guys. As always, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Abby Wild. That's A-B-B-Y-W-I-L-D-E. Thank you so much for joining me this week. We will be back next week with more of your childhood favorites and your grown-up regrets. Thanks, everybody. Okay, nice.